0: Hey guys, Pastor Adam here. I'm so glad that you are tuning in to one of our powerful messages. We believe will elevate your faith and take your life to the next level. At Elevate, we believe that the word of God is our blueprint and we build our lives on the truths found in God's word. We know that this message will help you grow in your walk with God and develop your faith so that you can become all that God has for you. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as we listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you.
1: Elevate! What an amazing worship service and baptismal this morning. Super exciting to be here in the house of God this morning. I don't know, I can never make it through worship when we have a baptism. I'm a mess, and um, I know I saw a lot of people out there that are messes, just like me this morning, and it's a good, it's a good mess. It's a good mess. Before we get started this morning, I just want to thank you all for coming, and Adam said it so many times from the pulpit, but you are the smartest people in Orange County, because you've chosen to come to the house of God today, and there's, many other places you could be. So I just, I applaud you in that decision that you've made this morning. We have many ways to give and we, there's boxes on your way out. Just kind of remind you real quick before we jump in. Um, I don't know if you remember, but last month we had our admissions Sunday and we had talked about Destiny Rescue, and I love to follow Destiny Rescue on social media because they post regularly every time they've had um, some traffickers found or or young women and young boys have been um, saved from trafficking, and this week there's been several, and I love to just kind of like repost it and share it because I feel like I'm a part because our church is all about missions and doing the work for God and reaching those that, that nobody cares about, nobody thinks about. And I love that we're a part of these kinds of things because when you give to those kind of things and then you see it in action, it does something. It not only builds your faith, but it's like, I'm a part of that. And so I'm just really excited. This week, there's been several announcements of that. And our church does little things all the time to reach our community, to reach the mission field. And we thank you for your giving because our church could not do it without you and so there's many ways to give you're very familiar with it um and we just thank you in advance for your faithful giving to the house of the lord you know this last few weeks for me um with with pastor adam's messages um have been very personal last week if you remember which was hard to forget but don't be lame that was his title and there were three things that peter had said to the man at the gate beautiful, he said, look at us, get up and walk, and what is so surprising about that? And those three things were kind of rolling around in my head this week because it's something that's very personal, that that only you can answer questions that are asked and things that that are put out there as like a personal message for you. So like this last message, don't be lame, the week before that, if you remember, was was vital signs. Well, only you can check your vital signs, right? Only I can check my vital signs. And so it's been personal these last few weeks, and, and I wanna continue with that personal reflection this morning, if we can. Recently, in the last few months, I've noticed a lot of news articles and TV documentaries being made about ministries and church leaders that have seemed to just have fallen to temptation. Just a few months ago, one of the pastors that I highly respect, I enjoy listening to his messages and reading his books, he released a statement that he was going on an indefinite leave of absence. It was nothing life altering, but enough for him to personally reflect, hit the brakes, and reevaluate, really, his heart. And he went and he stepped away from pastoring for a few months and just focused on, on making sure his heart was right with God and receiving biblical counseling. He came back stronger than ever. And I'm sure we're able to see these things today more than ever because of social media or just media in general, whether they want to share it or not. If there's just an absence of someone that you follow on social media, you get skeptical, right? You start wondering. But I so appreciated the fact that he revealed he was struggling and took time to receive the spiritual guidance he needed, and he came back strong. That's a heart check. Too many ministers and ministries today are not paying attention to the warning signs that I believe that God puts all around us. And it's not just ministers that are here in the pulpit, but the, it's the people of the church because you know that the moment you ask Jesus into your heart, you are also a minister of the gospel, which means that you are also a target of the enemy. We're going at such a fast pace, and we're, we're blowing by all the warning signs, and it's so easy to grow numb in this environment to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? Maybe just getting really busy to where you have less time to to learn God's word or to learn to hear his voice or just to be still and worship him. Sometimes we really have to fight against the noise to hear anything that the spirit wants to say to us and it's scary. I think it's sobering when you see people turn their backs on everything that they once believed and for a church it's heartbreaking. But I don't need to see a documentary on it or news about the fall of this pastor or that pastor because I've witnessed it so many times in my life. I remember one of my earliest childhood memories. I was in about first grade. My parents were pastoring a church in Manila, Philippines and my grandparents had we were in love with a televangelist at the time that I grew up watching on TV and I loved him as a little girl. And I remember the time he came to the Philippines and the Philippines was in an uproar. They couldn't wait. He was speaking at one of the biggest arenas. And I remember telling my parents, well, when are we gonna go pick him up for breakfast? Because every pastor that came through the Philippines, we took for breakfast. That was the first time I realized he was a lot bigger than what I thought. And one day in my little Christian school, some kids were saying some pretty horrible things about this man. And I was distraught and I got into the car with my mother and I told her what they'd been saying. And my mom had to tell me that sadly, these things had just happened and been released on the news. The fall of this once great man of God. And as a little girl, I couldn't quite grasp the magnitude of this loss, but I knew it was a great loss. I loved him, but I didn't know him. And that night, this little missionary girl in the Philippines cried herself to sleep because a very well-known TV pastor who had been fighting some lifelong temptations surrendered to them. We never know how much our actions will affect others. There's a quote written in, the Bible, in my Bible that I have on the very front page, and it says, Altitude isn't the issue stability is and that's what I want to title this message this morning it's not the altitude it's the stability our hearts for this congregation and this ministry is to go as high and as far as the Lord will take us we've had three baptisms just like Pastor Adam said in the last six weeks because we can't keep up with how many people want to be baptized And that's something that we celebrate. That's an amazing problem to have. We thank God for it. But as much as we want to go as high as we can, it comes with a heaviness, a weightiness, a heavy responsibility on every single person in this building. Altitude isn't the issue. Stability is. So how is your stability? My parents used to live in Lake Arrowhead, and I went up there a lot over the course of the years. And I began to pretty much memorize that little drive. But if you're driving up to Lake Arrowhead or Big Bear, you'll notice that there's a lot of areas that are netted off on the side of the road to catch those falling rocks in case of a rock slide. And I began to think about those rocks. There's three major components for a rock slide. One is altitude. One is a weak layer, and the last one is the perfect storm. The perfect storm strikes, and that rock, which is at a high altitude, that has the weak layer, begins to be detached and begins to roll, and it gains momentum, and it loosens other rocks and debris that aren't attached on its way down, and the once beautiful landscape is destroyed by that one rock at the top with the weak layer. Altitude, weak layer, and the perfect storm have the ability to change our landscape forever. And it's amazing to me that people don't believe God created the world. When you can look at his creation and see so many parallels to spiritual things. A rock slide. I think it's exactly how the enemy works today. It's his pattern. It's kind of amazing how predictable Satan is. He really doesn't have any new tricks. But why should he, when all the old, boring, reliable ways still work for him? 1 Peter 5 eight. we know this scripture, it says, be alert and of sober mind. The enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So he's actively looking, but he's looking for the ones with some altitude. He's examining the stones that have some altitude. And he wants to see if they're fully attached. The ones that have that weak layer underneath. And he's waiting. He's waiting to hit that perfect storm. So that that he can loosen that stone. And wipe out as much of the landscape. And weaken layers all on their way down. This is what the devil's good at. And a lot of people want to be high altitude Christians. It should be our goal. But it is a dangerous desire if we haven't taken the time to be grounded and rooted to the source. I've known too many Christians that say it. I want to do anything for God. I want to go here and I want to preach here and I want to start this ministry or that ministry. But they don't want to spend the time doing the groundwork, doing all the hard basic work. They want to skip that part. Well, why? The unseen work behind all the the scenes, the digging in the Word and the listening for the Holy Spirit. The stuff that nobody sees. The ache of spiritual discipline, but also the growth that comes with it. The faithfulness of the day in and the day out obedience. And as soon as you point that out, well, what about your layers? They're gone whether it's to another church where they can get to that high altitude and they'll overlook the fact that there has been no stability. If if you can't tell by all these news articles and documentaries that are slamming ministries, it's exactly what's happening. If the enemy is prowling around and he's looking to devour and he sees the ones that want it all, but they have no depth of root. They are not grounded. They've never gone through a perfect storm anchored to the source. And he finds them, not only will he facilitate their rise in altitude, because remember, he's crafty. He's smart. He will only strike that perfect storm when it means he gets the most collateral damage. And sadly, I believe there's too many Christians today that are making this just too easy for him. Recently, a few weeks back, if you remember, we had our farewell service for Pastor Danny and Zio as they left us and they started a church in Reno, Nevada. We're so excited. That has been a long process. Maybe some of you might not know, but that was a very hard decision for them to make, to uproot their family and moved to Reno to start this Elevate Campus, and they're probably watching this morning, so we're gonna do a shout out. Hi, Pastor Dan and Zio. We miss you. We're praying for you. But they did it. You know, they've been there and done that before. They have had more experience in their Christian walk of people hurt than probably most people I know. But after years of faithfully working on those unseen layers right here with us, being faithful in the day in and the day out, digging deep and letting the Holy Spirit do a work within them for however long he needed. Saying yes to every little stepping stone in ministry. They they were pastors, but they came here and they started from the ground up. Baby steps, taking every opportunity to speak Every opportunity to teach, every opportunity to pray and counsel, opening their homes to young people, loving God's people. They didn't just say yes. They were eager to do whatever God had called them to do. They knew that the Lord was calling them to step up. They knew without a doubt that they had to be obedient. And they said yes. And they sold their home. And 30 days before they were to move out, Pastor Danny was in the hospital with a heart attack and needed surgery. Now that could have been the perfect storm. And the enemy was hoping it was. He was betting on all the elements that he needed. Pastor Danny had taken that huge leap of faith, right? Going to pastor, the altitude was there. The perfect storm, a heart attack. But the altitude isn't the issue, stability is. And Pastor Danny and Zeo, they remained stable. I wish I could read to you the texts on my phone from Zio during the week in the hospital. It was recognizing it for what it was, not accepting this. They'd planted their roots deep down. How? Simply in being obedient to each step that God had asked them to do, no matter how small. Standing against the temptation, forgiving hurts. the the herds that they had brought into this church with them so they weren't tempted to hold on to that bitterness and let it grow. They experienced it, but they kept walking in the same direction. And you know what that does? That creates stability and that strengthens our layers. We'll never know in this lifetime how many perfect storms the enemy has lined up to take you and others out with you, if not for stability the attachment we have made to Christ in those simple steps of our daily obedience. You know, the devil knows that God protects his people. Recently in our Bible reading app, we just went through the book of Job. Job is not one of my favorite books. In fact, when I see it coming up on our Bible reading app, I really wish I could skip it every year. But this time, as my daughter likes to say, something hit different. Don't you just love that about the Word of God? Sometimes it just hits different. I want to take a quick look at Job today, and it's not where I want to land, but it's where I want to just kind of jump off. Job 1 verse 1. Just the introduction of this man named Job. It says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. So right here, the Bible says that Job was blameless and upright. So right there, you lost me. When I'm, if I'm going to be transparent, because I'm not blameless and I'm not upright. And I always looked at this and I kind of just jumbled in blameless to sinless. Like, well, he was just like Jesus. But if you study out that word blameless, there's a huge difference between blameless and sinless. Sin is vertical, we understand that. The only person I can sin against, the only person you can sin against is God. I cannot sin against my husband. I can violate him. I could do things that he could blame me for. But I cannot sin against him because he cannot forgive my sins. Only Jesus can forgive my sins, right? Blameless means all the people that are horizontal around me. They're right here in this room. So the people that Job worked with, The people that Job did business dealings with, his friends, his family, everyone that knew him at all, no one could charge him with any kind of a moral failure. That's what that blameless means. His reputation on this earth was impeccable. He was rooted to the source. He was blameless. There was no instability in Job's life. What a goal to have. So the first thing we see Job doing after this amazing introduction of this blameless man is in Job 1, 4 through 5. It says his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps. My children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom." So these verses are showing us a close relationship between Job and his kids. They have dinner celebrations as a family. His sacrifice to the Lord for his family shows us he took responsibility, right, of being a priest over his home seriously. His kids are growing up, they're making their way in the world, but what's he doing? He's at home, he's covering them in prayer, he's making sacrifices just in case for them. I mean, he's interceding for them. The first verse of the introduction said he was blameless. And here he is offering sacrifices to God as a regular custom. It's a picture of simple obedience. Small steps in the same direction every day. Consistency in his walk. Living that blameless life yet still recognizing that he is a sinner if not for the grace of God. Vulnerable to the temptations that the enemy throws as were his kids. It shows us that it is possible in this world, today's world, to live a blameless life and be genuinely good. So we see his godliness we see his wealth and status are so well known and if you read through the book of job you get this glimpse of what he actually did with his time and his treasure and his talents i mean he rescued the needy he cared personally for handicapped and dying he brought the orphans into his home he even fought for the underprivileged in court i mean he's like the perfect citizen And just reading this very first chapter of this introduction to this man named Job, you would never know that this book in the Bible is about a perfect storm. There's no city that's going to be attacked. There's no people that are going to be conquered. There's no adventures that are going to be recorded. The whole conflict is going to happen in a trash heap where they burn their trash. But it is a perfect storm. And I think it's one we need to look at closely because it's the war of a soul of a man. It's a war of temptation. The struggle that we all face today and every single day. Job was considered blameless and upright. This is why God had placed his hand over him and covered him, the Bible says. But Satan, he prowls around looking for those he wants to devour and he sees Job. And he says, I want him. In Job 1, 9 through 11, Satan tells God, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But if you stretch out your hand and you strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to your face. So Satan's taunting God and said, if you just lift your hand away, you let me take away all that he has, I will tempt him and he will curse you. There's a reason why the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Job has never given a hint of cursing God. He was blameless, but Satan said he will do it. He will do it. And so God simply lifts his hand from Job. Probably another reason why I've always wanted to skip the book of Job. Because it doesn't make sense until you've gone through moments in your life when you felt that hand lift, or you think you have. And the cry of why was my first reaction. But when you see the relationship that Job had with God, it's like God, when he lifts his hand, he says, okay, this is the man for this job. I know he's stable in all of his ways. Go ahead, do your worst. So Satan unleashes all the power he can in the span of a few hours. Job loses his livelihood, His flocks, his servants, his sons and daughters are all killed. All to simply tempt him to curse God. Satan was focused on maximizing his advantage. He gives it everything he's got up to what God will allow. That's how he lives to tempt all of God's people. James 1, 13 through 16 says, Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted but with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. So Satan cannot touch you. All he can do is tempt you. But he knows what to tempt you with, with your own deep desires. We all have the desires that the enemy can use. There's nothing new, remember. The enemy uses all the same old temptation he used all the way back to the children of Israel and Adam and Eve. Why? Because they work. We've all been born as sinners into a sinful world and our human nature is to be line crossers and limit testers. And that's exactly what he targets. 1 Corinthians 10:13 says that the temptations in your life Are no different from what others experience so that means anything I've experienced you've experienced and vice versa and God is faithful he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted he will show you a way out so that you can endure so you realize that this scripture is showing us that God is supervising He's supervising all temptations coming against his people. Whatever temptations you face this week, months, years in a battle, it is supervised. And there has always been a way out. It's not of escape. It is not a way to escape. If you look at the and you study that phrase a way of escape, it's so that you can endure. Not escape. You will never escape some of the things in this life on this sinful earth, but the Bible says I'll give you a way out that helps you endure it. So that means what if you if you study it out, it's like you're you're surrounded on all sides by your enemy. There's no way out, and suddenly you see a way. It's not going to be the easy way. It's going to take some maybe some high climbing, some deep water diving. Maybe it's going to be in black pitch black darkness for a while. But the way of escape, it doesn't lead us where we're totally free, but to a place where we can just catch our breath and bear it until we can beat it. I think there's people here this morning that need to be reminded that to be tempted is not sin. To be tempted is not sin. We will always be fighting temptation on this earth. Jesus himself was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. When you're in the fight, when you're in that temptation, that's when Satan likes to pounce on you by bombarding your mind with shame. you well, used to love to do this. Oh, come on, you used to give in all the time. Just do it again. The feelings that you've already failed, the feelings of self-condemnation, those famous words from Adam and Eve, did God really say that? Even though you're standing there and you are actively fighting against it, he makes you feel like you've already lost. It's like that old story of the little boy in the candy store and he's staring at the candy for so long. And the manager comes and says, son, sure looks to me like you're going to steal some candy. And the little boy with his fist at his side said, no, sir, I'm trying not to steal that candy. Well, some temptations we face in life are we're going to be like that little boy. We're going to be standing in that candy aisle for a long time. However long it takes and all we can do is face it down and will remain stable, unshakable with our fists at our hands, firmly fixed on what we know to be true. Hebrews 2.18 says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help you. When you are being tempted, he's given us help. Well, how has he given us help? In 2 Corinthians 10:5 it says, "We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So we have this opportunity, this scripture says, to demolish. Those tempting thoughts, those seeds of doubt that I'm not really a Christian, those seeds of shame that said, "Well, you've done this before, you have an opportunity to take those thoughts, and before they get rooted, before they destabilize you, and you can destroy them. says every pretension. Well, what does that mean? That means anything that comes into your mind that contradicts the character of God, anything. Psalms 34:22. The Lord redeems his servants and none who take refuge in him will be condemned. Romans 12 two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the word of God saying? He's saying every time the enemy throws that at you, every time you're in the perfect storm and those thoughts start coming, there will be an opportunity to demolish it, to take it captive, to take refuge and to renew your mind. Amen. It goes back to the layers underneath. What have you been building on? Because what you do in times of ease, you will reflect in the hard times. It's the layers. Satan's goal with Job was simply to tempt him to curse God. And he went rounds with him like a boxing match. Job's first round, you find him on his knees in a pile of ash with his clothes torn, but he's still worshiping. The second round, Job is on the same pile of trash, the same torn clothes, but now he's repenting. Oh God, what did I do? Forgive me. What did I do to cause this? It's our pattern. That's what we do. It's what I've done. 42 chapters later, Scholars say there's no way to know if it was four weeks or four years. But we do know it was too long. I don't think Job ever got his why answered while he lived on this earth, just like you and I probably won't. The perfect storm was brutal, and Job's loss was unimaginable. Even Job's wife in Job 2.9, his wife told him, do you remain firm in your integrity? So basically she's saying, do you remain stable after all of this? Curse God and die. And he looked at her and he said, you're talking like foolish women do. Are we to accept what is good from God and not tragedy? And throughout all of this, Job did not sin by what he said. He remained stable. He would not allow himself to curse God. And the Bible says that the storm passed and he served the Lord with everything he had for another 140 years and God restored everything back to him that he lost and multiplied it. It is not altitude, it is stability. Job had the altitude and he was severely tested and he remained stable and lived another 140 years in blessing. What a story. I'm so inspired by Job. But this morning, I want to I wanna look at one other supervised temptation. One in the New Testament, and it's one of Jesus' disciples and his closest friends. Jesus is sitting at his last supper with his 12. With his 12. And Jesus said in Luke twenty two thirty one 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So once again, Satan's asking. Just as like he did Job, the accuser's added it again. Possibly because Jesus, earlier in his relationship with Simon, had renamed him to Peter. If you remember Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I tell you that you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So maybe because Jesus made it so personal to Satan, the church that Peter would begin would crush the gates of hell. Well, that sounds pretty threatening. So naturally, Satan wanted to crush Peter first. To prevent that prophecy from being fulfilled, that's what he does. He's seeking whom he wants to devour. And if you are a threat to him, he will be a threat to you. So Jesus tells Simon... Satan's going to sift you like wheat. In the Bible days, they w- this would have been so significant for the 12 sitting around that table because we know for the farmers in the Bible days, there was no machinery. They had to go out and gather all the wheat stalks by hand and then they'd bring it into the threshing floor, which was like this hard packed dirt floor and they would toss it on the floor. And then they'd start beating it as hard as they could to break off the outer hard layers and release the little kernel of wheat inside. Then they'd take these big sticks and they'd lift up the piles in the air and they'd let the wind blow the chafe off and the kernels would just fall to the ground easily so they could gather the kernels and burn the chafe. So here you have this picture in their minds. So they had a good idea. When the devil says, oh, I want to sift them like wheat, what was coming down? Some commentaries use that word to sift to say to violently attack. That's scary, to know it's coming. Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, but Jesus continued on, and he said, but I prayed for you, Simon. This shows us that Jesus knows what the enemy is going to throw at us, and he gives us that way of escape. Satan would not completely crush Peter, we know that, but that really had nothing to do with Peter himself. It was because Jesus contended for Peter. Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Luke 22.32, Jesus said, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. He didn't say, I have prayed for you for your faith to stay strong. He said, I prayed your faith to not fail? Jesus knew he was going to betray him three times. After walking with Jesus and being one of the 12, you had to think that Peter thought he had some altitude on his relationship with the Lord. We know reading the Bible that Peter had a little bit of a hot streak. I mean, he was impulsive. This is the guy that cut off the ear of the soldier who came to arrest Jesus. He was extremely confident, even cocky. Matthew 26, Peter had told Jesus, man, if anybody falls away from you, Lord, I never will. Satan was depending on that weak layer to be there. He assumes the worst of us. He is the accuser. He is the liar. So he's always looking for the weak layer. And if he can't find one, oh, he'll accuse you until you believe there is one there. He will try and accuse you until all the ways that you're failing. In Revelations, we know the book of the Bible is a picture of what's to come. And this scripture says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of your brothers and sisters who accuses, who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. So this scripture, if this is gonna happen, And this accuser is going to be hurled down one day. And right now, he's accusing us 24-7 at the throne room of God. He had big plans for Peter and he's going to use the perfect storm of betrayal when Peter will deny he even knew Jesus. And in that moment, he's going to unleash that perfect storm of self-hatred, condemnation, failure, unforgiveness, shame into his thoughts at that perfect time. And he hopes, to cause as much devastation to the remaining disciples and the early church as he possibly can but Jesus knew this he supervises the temptation there is always a way of escape he said i prayed for you that your faith may not fail so when i was sweating those drops of blood in the garden of gethsemane when i was falling asleep when you were falling asleep on me while i was praying I wasn't just praying for strength for me. Well, I was praying for you that your faith may not fail. Not that your faith will stay strong, but just at the lowest point, it will not fail. He knew what Peter would be feeling at that moment. All the grief and the rage and the humiliation. That's why he said that your faith will not fail. I wish I'd caught this as a young believer. I wish I'd caught it as a teenager. The enemy loves to shame and put those tiny seeds of doubt in your mind when you're walking through temptations. I wish I'd known that in your life, you'll never, uh, you'll never overcome them. All some, you're going to be standing like that little boy for years until Jesus comes holding your fists in the candy aisle. As long as Satan is around, as long as we live on this earth. We will face the trials, we will face the temptations, but it's temptation is not the sin. That's where the enemy is tripping people up today and they're falling away from the Lord. Those thoughts, those lies, the accuser. We've gotta take captive the thoughts. We have gotta watch what we watch and read. We have to protect our minds, social media. It's such a blessing and it's such a curse, right? Feed all kinds of self hatred, comparison issues, jealousy, judgment of others. Well, you can dislike someone as fast as you like them. Let's just call it what it is it's hatred and self hatred. Did you even know that those things are tempting thoughts? The enemy and his demons don't even have to prowl around like they used to in the Bible days. Now you can simply lounge around and something pops up on your computer. And you're thinking about that image the rest of the day. It follows, you, it follows it up with the shame and the self-doubt popping in your mind. Alcohol has become a poison for our society. Numbing tools. The enemy loves to push you to use, to become dependent on. And so many churches are advocating it today. The whispers of the enemy to just take it, whatever it is that you need. It will help you. It will numb you. You deserve it. You've had a long week. Recognize the tempting whispers, church. What about anger and unforgiveness, this crazy cancel culture? Don't try and justify that junk. It's seeds that take root. All this unforgiveness that's flowing through the church from petty things is poisoned straight from the enemy. And then comes the conversation when they leave the church well, I was church hurt. That is not a church. That is people in the church. And you were people hurt. And we need to take ownership of our own faults and recognize I am part of the problem. It is only when we recognize we have sin in our lives that we can see our way out. Because Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And I have made a way of escape for you. Look for it. Those baby steps of looking for a way out are always seen by God. Those are the steps that take you higher and ground you deeper at the same time. No matter the temptation that the enemy throws at you, if you are grasping on to your faith by a thread, Jesus said, I prayed that your faith will not fail. And that scripture tells us that weak faith, it is still faith. Weak faith is still faith. We as a church like to talk a lot about strong faith and mighty faith, faith over fear, faith for the impossible, and that should be our goal. We need to exercise our faith and believe for those big things. But what about the seasons like Job and Peter when you are scraping at the bottom of the barrel? The enemy is using those seasons to try and use temptations to hit you with all the thoughts and tell you you are not a believer. You are not a true follower of Christ because your faith is so weak. But it's for those exact moments that Jesus said those powerful words. I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Faith is birthed, not in the avoiding of the perfect storms, but in actively facing them. When it's all we've got left, we're still standing in them. That's when faith grows from a mustard seed to a mountain mover. In the middle of it all. In Luke 22, 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is telling Peter, you're gonna fail. The storm is gonna hit you hard, but hold on, because your faith will feel like a thread, but hold on, because when you turn back, you will strengthen your brothers wait a minute, doesn't that seem kind of backwards? Shouldn't the other 11 be strengthening him? I mean, they didn't betray Jesus. But there's something so beautiful, something so powerful. When you watch someone standing in that perfect storm for so long, and it seems they're holding on by a thread, but they've hit their knees in repentance. They've asked God, why? What is? What did I do? They've worshiped through it, and they see how much God loves and forgives when they are standing through it. It causes other people's faith to be ignited and to see their standing go deeper than it's ever been in that perfect storm it's those times when you stay attached to the source it's what you don't see happening that is the actual miracle your roots go deeper your faith intensifies and the enemy is defeated and God is glorified in Job's life the enemy wanted him to curse God why because we live to glorify God So in Job's life, the ultimate outcome was God be glorified, and he was. In Peter's life, the church was established, and today is still being glorifying God. God is still being glorified through us because of Peter. We are here on this earth simply, simply to glorify him. You know, I've had Job and Peter on my mind this whole month. And I have such a hard time compartmentalizing. I know April can attest because we're a part of a Bible study and when I'm in the week of my message, it's so hard for me to go to that Bible study and get my mind on a whole nother path. I'm just the worst at compartmentalizing. I can't do two messages at once like, like Pastor Adam. At some point, it all comes colliding together. So this morning, are you ready for my collision? Job He was blameless. No man could find fault in him. He was selfless, patient, generous. I mean, just a wonderful man. Peter, he couldn't even stay awake when Jesus asked him to pray with him. He spoke without thinking all the time. He cut off the ear of the soldier coming to get Jesus. He denies he even knew Jesus. He stepped out of the water to walk on water and then he sank. This guy was loaded with human flaws. All of his traits then are our traits today. All of his fear and anxiety that he faced, we face. But his genuine love and passion for Jesus at his very core is the same passion that's keeping us on our feet today. We're so lucky, church, that Jesus' church was built I'm Peter and not Job. Because I'm not Job. Pastor Adam's not Job. You're not Job. I can never try and even be like Job. But I am Peter. We are all Peters. Matthew 16, 18. It says, I tell you, Simon, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. Simon meant to hear, Peter meant the rock. So he received this powerful new name simply by hearing what the Spirit was saying simply by hearing what the Spirit was saying. In Revelations 2.17, a promise of what's to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So every time... We're in that perfect storm. Every time we stand our ground and we listen to what the Spirit is saying to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I don't think I can overlook this this morning because this hidden manna is significant. If you remember back to the Old Testament of the Bible, the children of Israel are complaining, they're wandering in the desert and they're saying, I'm hungry. You should have left us there. You should have left us as slaves. You're letting us starve. What does God do? God provides, right? He starts, he's saying, I'm gonna provide you fresh manna every single day, but he had rules for it. He said, you can only take what you need for right now, for today you're not going to hoard it. You're not going to take it back to your your living areas and store it. And even when they tried to do that, it would rot. Because God was showing them, "I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you this fresh manna from heaven. But it's going to be fresh every single day. Fresh revelations. Fresh miracles." fresh words. That's what he wants to give to us today. And the scripture in revelations is showing us there is a reward when you stand your ground in the middle of temptation. When you listen to the spirit in the middle of a perfect storm to those who are victorious, you will be given hidden manna. That Every time every single victory it comes with a fresh anointing it comes with a fresh revelation you get to see a new layer of God in your life that you never had before there's a new understanding of of God's Word and new altitudes but at the same time new layers of stability it's this fresh manna every single time you stand in victory and then he says I'll give that person a white stone with a new name known only to the one who receives it. So when you listen to the spirit and you stand victorious, you not only get new revelations and you can not only get new stability, but you get to receive a white stone which represents pure innocence and a new name written on it. It's a secret name that describes who you truly were created to be. A name that God calls you a name that the enemy will never know. Those are powerful promises to hold on to when you are standing in that perfect storm. We're lucky, church. We're so lucky that Jesus chose to build his church on someone like Peter and not Job. I can never try and be Job, but Peter I get. Peter I understand. Because weak faith, it's still faith. If you're holding on this morning by a thread of it, you're still holding on and God honors that. God honors that. Let's bow our heads this morning. Church altitude isn't the issue, it's stability. Peter at his core, He was a rock, but he couldn't see it. And Jesus called Peter the rock before he proved himself stable. God sees something in you. God calls you by a name that you will not know on this earth, but one day when he calls us home, when he comes back for us, he's gonna call us by the names he sees us as. A name the enemy can never touch, can never make filthy. He can never even try to destroy. But you have to know what he says. The Bible says, listen to what the Spirit is saying. Listen. That means turn off the world's voice and turn up God's. Turn up the Holy Spirit. Turn up the Word of God in your life. Thank you, Jesus, to remain stable. Before I make a call for the the altar for those of us who want to respond to anything that the Holy Spirit is saying from this message, I do want to reach out to anyone here this morning that maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're standing in the perfect storm and you need a Savior. He's right there. He's made a way for you. He makes a way every time for you so that you can endure, so you can endure and you can thrive and live in this life with Him whispering in your ear. That's what He does for us when you're surrounded on all sides. He he makes a way of escape. We can't explain it. We can tell you all the stories in our lives where Jesus has helped us. Jesus has been there for us, walked through despair, heartache, loss, grief, It doesn't make sense unless you experience it. God sent his son to die so that we could have this experience. And this morning you're here for a reason. This is a way out. And if that's you this morning, you want to accept Jesus into your life. You want to start listening to what the spirit says. We open this altar for you and we ask that you just raise your hand so we can see and we can have someone pray with you. Anyone out there that doesn't know the Lord and wants to just give your heart to Jesus this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna move on. It's not altitude, it's stability. I know there's a lot of people in here that are walking through the storms. I know personally some of your storms that you've been going on for a really long time. And I'm angry at the devil for these things. I've been angry this past month, just what, what he's capable of throwing at God's people. What he thinks he can get away with, young people falling away because they think they've failed. to destroy young people before they even get their stability because he's good at it church but God has made a way he's made a way even with a thread of faith you're still in it you're still in it and he prayed for Peter and he said I prayed for you that your faith may not fail and he's praying for us he's contending for us at the throne of God Every day the enemy is accusing us and what does the Bible say? It's being hurled down. It's being hurled down. What does that mean? Jesus is there defending us. The blood of Jesus is on us and when God looks down he can't see what Satan's accusing us of. He can only see the righteous blood of Jesus. Church we have a reason to rejoice in the middle of the storm. We have a reason to rejoice. It's because of what He has done for us that we can stand. Even if it's like the little boy, we'll stand with our fist, we'll stand shaking on that thread of faith, but we will stand. If that's you, get up this morning and come down and let us worship God together. Reconfirm in your hearts that you are going to stand. You're gonna stand no matter what the enemy throws, no matter what you walk through, even when it's on that thread of faith. Way for you to endure it. He's watching over you. He is covering you. He is. Sa- he is. What is the word I'm looking for? He is looking over. He is watching over all the temptations. He's watching over us. Uh, The day before yesterday, I was going through my notes and something just stuck out to me in in that last conversation that Jesus had with Peter. And he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So here Jesus had renamed Simon Peter early on in their relationship. But oftentimes you see Jesus calling him Simon, referring back to Simon like he did at the Last Supper. And when I looked through the relationship with Jesus and when he used Simon instead of Peter, I think these were times that Peter wasn't acting like the rock that God saw at his core and he needed to go back to listening again. He had to go back to the basics again. He was, it was like when he said Simon, it was like, go back, Simon. Check those layers, Simon. Whoa there, big boy. You know, you, you aren't the rock yet. And I think that same warning applies for us today. You have to be willing to go back. You have to be willing to keep listening. You have to be willing to keep learning. You have to be willing to receive spiritual discipline and guidance. It's the only way that we will build those deep layers to build our stability because from Simon listening That's how he became Peter, the rock that this church was built upon. So the Spirit, what is the Spirit saying? In your situation, you've got to learn to identify what the Spirit is saying. It is your only weapon that we have on this earth. But it's the best one. It's the best one. It's not altitude, it's stability, church. We want to be a stable church, and we want to let God take us as far and high and wide as He can. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead. And let's let's sing one more time. Sing it out to the Lord again. If all you ever wanted, sing from the heart. All you ever wanted
0: was my heart. Then here it is. Here it is. Lay it all on the altar. Can you lift up your hands?
2: about how you handle things with me, Lord. How you handle my life and how you handle the things that I go through. Lord, we see once again your faithfulness, Lord. You show it to us in new ways, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you never allow us to go through more than what we can handle, Lord. We'll be able to handle it. And we don't have to go through this life dealing with things and thinking I don't know if I'm gonna make it. You said we can make it. You said I have prayed for you. You said, I will help you. Oh God, I thank you that we stand on a firm foundation, a solid rock. We're so grateful to you this morning. Grateful to you for that word this morning. And for all of us, Lord, that heard that word and it hit us, it hit us different this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Can you thank the Lord in this moment? Just thank Him today. We thank you, Lord. We love you today. We love you today. Lord, let this word be something that we walk by throughout this week. Come on, maybe you make that decision right now. I'm going to walk in this word from here on in. I'm going to walk in this word. So, Lord, we thank you for this today, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stay strong. Lord, help us to recognize, Lord, temptation isn't sin. Lord, but we stand in that candy store. I love that analogy. We stand in that candy store like a kid with our hands clenched. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to make this mistake. Lord, I thank you that you give us the strength that we need. We love you in this place in Jesus' name. Wow. I want to thank you for joining with us today here at Elevate. This was a tremendous, tremendous service. How many love this service today? We had baptisms, that message. Man, God really has taking us places. God bless you as you go from this place. We'll see you again very soon.